Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. How many of you, your year, as you think back to this last 365 days, how many of you can say, without a doubt, this year has gone 100% to plan. I planned it. I wrote it down. I can show you my journal. And this year, man, it's been exact. Oh, it's right there. I wrote it out. I'm a prophet. I didn't even know it. How many of you? Yeah, none of us, right? Absolutely zero of us. But yet, do you realize how much of your disappointment and your sadness and your, your highs and your lows you anchor to your plans? Even though we know this, many of us have lived more than a year, right? We, we know if you're, that was weird. If you haven't lived more than a year, you wouldn't be in this room. You'd probably be next door. But you've lived long enough to know that, that here's the thing. My year never goes as planned. I always step out. I have optimism. I have hope. And I have a, a particular way. But it doesn't always go that way. But how many of my emotions are tied to Oh my goodness, that changed. Oh my goodness, that was different. Oh, it didn't go the way I went. And how many of our freak out moments do we have where we say, oh Lord, I need you now. He's like, well, welcome. Glad you're here. But we do that when our plans aren't working out. And then we come to Christmas, and when we read the Bible every year, we, we read it, and we're kind of like, oh, this is cool, Mary and Joseph, you're going to be betrothed, angels, you know, trumpets, sound, and look at all these, they're born in a, in a, in a, a no room in the inn, born in the side of a cave, essentially, and, and so we just read that, and we read over it. But the reality is there was a lot of plan disruption. Isaiah 55, 8 says, God says, that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not what? your ways. And so we, we have this kind of cafeteria Christian mentality where we separate parts of the Bible and we don't let them touch each other, right? And we're just kind of like, hold on. We worship a God who tells us flat out, Tully, my ways are not your ways. But yet our prayers are, Lord, this is my way. Will you bless it? He's like, no, no, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so when you bring to me your thoughts, when you bring to me your ways, and you slap on some Christianity, you slap on some religiosity, and then you expect that if it's not working out, that somehow I've abandoned you. But I've already told you my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But yet you lay your plans before me and get disturbed if those plans don't work out. See, we separate it. Cafeteria Christianity. I had several chains of plans. When I was young, our family didn't have much money. We moved a lot. So every time we moved, I have to find a new school. I didn't find it, but I had to go to a new school. I had to meet new friends. I I had uh, girlfriends, believe it or not, and during middle and high school times, there people say, hey, I, 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 I like you. I want to be around you. And then two weeks later, middle school or a week, you know, well, I don't really like you as much. And so change of plans. Like, okay. 
When I went to college, I ended up changing my major five different times and change of plans. Each time you go through this season, you're like, oh, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what do you want from me? And so you move a little bit, you move a little bit, and eventually he leads you to where he's called you. But plans change. Even in ministry, I have my undergrad is in law, was headed for law school. That was what I felt that I was called to do. And God got a hold of my heart when I was interning uh, in Texas, visiting with a friend, and I, I helped him out for about three months in ministry. And a lot of people come and say, hey, you're gifted with people. You're gifted at that time, especially with teenagers. And so you really should consider investing your life into people. And so I said, well, that, that would be a big change of plans to go to law school and to do ministry. Huge change of plan. I mean, they're kind of, I, know, I know you guys are you're just kind of like, well, they're kind of the same. Like, like I, all the law shows look just like pastors. Um, no, but they're very, very different worlds and different goals and change. And then you get into ministry. I get into ministry and, and I start out and I'm a youth pastor in, in Texas. And I, I fully enjoyed it and loved it. And we started a church and had great growth and that was awesome. And the Lord called us, my wife and I, to move to Virginia where we helped another church get started. And that went well. And then the Lord called us out to plant a church when I was 25 years old. Uh, we started a church. And so... Man, change of plans, change of plans, change of plans. A few years in, that church is growing, and a national mission board contacts me and says, hey, do you want to go back home to Baltimore? And I'm like, no, not a chance, no. We, no, I live in Virginia Beach, we have a nice house, no. And so, but the Lord changed my plans. You see, our plans are, are not His plans. Our ways are not His ways. Our thoughts are not His thoughts. And as you approach Christmas, a lot of your gratitude is going to rest on whether or not you feel that God has robbed you or do you feel if God has called you. And many times what we do is we mistake the two. Many times we look at where we are in our trajectory and we kind of presume God abandoned us somewhere because here is not what I had written down. I mean, if you look at my journal, that's not what I wanted for myself. And, and why am I here right now? Why am I in this season? Why am I with these people? Don't look at them right now. Why? Is it the way that it is? And we assume that it must mean that Jesus has forsaken us. But we know by his word that he promises to not do that. He won't do that. Now, some of our plans could be adjusted because we sinned and we messed up and we had to change things. But a lot more often, I really believe, it's an, it's an invasion of the Holy Spirit in our lives that moves and nudges us. And allows us great opportunity in the future. But, but we, we are reluctant to let him shake our plans. Let's look at the story of Christmas in light of some plans that were shaken up. And you might be sitting in a season where some of your plans are shaken up. They're not going as the way that you wanted. Maybe the job's not working out the way that you wanted. Maybe in your particular life some friendships have broken off. Maybe there's relationship uh, drama or challenges. Whatever it might be, you, you may be kind of in a, in, in a shaken state. But I want us to look at Christmas and say how to have a Merry Christmas. We can have a Merry Christmas when we hang tight to Jesus and we hold loosely to our plans. Look at Luke chapter 1. It goes a little something like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, parenthetical reference here. 
the, in this day, there was more of an arranged marriage situation. And so Mary and Joseph, they were uh, set up by their families. It was kind of like, well, who am I going to marry? I don't know. Mom and dad know. And, and so they would have that already kind of planned out. And so they're in this season of engagement. They're in this season of, hey, we're about to make this transaction go down. Um, but this is your fiance, essentially. I mean, it's um, to Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. How beautiful are these words. For you have found favor with God. And behold, he goes on to explain, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And so this pronouncement from the angel to Mary, hey Mary, I know your current plan was you were about to get married to Joseph. And I'm sure in your current plan was that you're going to get married and then eventually there'll be children and things. I'm sure that that's what your plan was. But I want you to know God wants to shake up your plan because you have found favor. He has called you. He has set you apart. And so here we go. Do not be afraid. We can tell in a moment by Mary's response, we get a little insight into why there was this favor found in her. If you're jotting notes, you could write this down. Favor is found in our posture, not in our plans. In our posture, not in our plans. You see, God didn't look at, at Mary and go, oh, well, here's a girl that's, that's betrothed to be married. And so therefore, oh, well, I guess I got to work with her. You know, that's just what it is. It, that's, that's what she decided. Okay, fine, I'll do it. Now, when you look at, at the line of Joseph, it makes specific mention to say that he's in the lineage of David. And that's huge. That's enormously huge because this is a prophecy. It's a fulfilled prophecy about where in the line that the Messiah would come from. And so what's happening here is that God has saw Mary fit to carry Jesus and has Mary prepared to be with Joseph in the line of David. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was troubled at the saying. It's another reason that we see her, her favor there. How many of us really expect if God were to come and be like, you know what? Ed, Bob, Greg, Antoine, whoever. You know, I've really been watching and you're pretty awesome. We'd go, yeah, thanks. I think so myself. You know, she doesn't respond that way. An angel of the Lord comes and says, you know what? You found favor. This troubled her. This concerned her. She, she wasn't a young lady walking around with, with arrogance and pride built up. 
She wasn't walking around in, in, in her faith believing she was the reason for her own goodness towards God. It, it troubled her to think this. Like, who is this? What is going on? Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, Mary, it appears, had a proper perspective of God. And God said, you know, you found favor. You're getting it right. You're not all about yourself. You're, you're not prideful in what you have to contribute. You're humble. And I can use humble. And then in the same token as the angels expressing who this baby would be. This, this, this picture of who this baby would be is really designed more for us. I have fun every year with the song, Mary, Did You Know? Because the whole song is all about, did you know he was going to do, did you know, did you know? And it's like, yeah, he, she, she did, like the angel said it. He's going to be great. He, he, he's going to be the son of God. He's going to fulfill prophecy of the coming Messiah. He's going to reign forever. His kingdom, it'll have no end. Now, she knew that, and we read that. But if, if, if favor is found in posture and not in our own planning, if that were to be true, and if, if the favor that was shown to Mary had to do in part to, to her humility before God and her seeing God in the right light and herself in the right light, then what does it mean for us when we see this description of who Jesus is to us? How many of us can say, you know what, this Christmas, I have a proper view of Christ in my life. Do you consider in your life, do you consider Jesus Christ to be great? We spoke a few weeks ago how the word great has been so diluted. But do you consider Christ to be great in your life? Do you acknowledge that Christ is the Son of God? Like who you worship? Do, do you acknowledge that, that He's the coming Messiah? Do you acknowledge that his rule and his reign is forever and his kingdom has no end? And if he is the great king and if he's the one that has rule and reign forever and has no end, then I am but a subject in his kingdom. Am I prepared in my life when I think about my plans, when I think about my calling, when I think about my existence, am I prepared to say, Jesus, you are my great king. And your rule and your reign extend forever. And your kingdom has no end. And it's in light of your greatness. It's in light of your goodness. It's in light of the fact that you are a king. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. It's in light of all that that I now present to you my plans. That I now present to you my will, what I want, the way I think things should be. Question, are we focused on our posture before God or our plans? Are we focused on our posture 
or our plans. You see, my friends, if we're focused in on our plans, our will, our wishes, our wants, our agenda, if we're focused in on that, and that drives us when we wake up in the morning. Can I go ahead and tell you, we've all admitted already at the beginning of service that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Can we all agree? Say, yeah. Yep, I can agree. And that's the difference. Because if you're, if you're concerned with your plans and if you're concerned with your agenda, then you're bound for disappointment. We've all agreed that none of us have had the year that we anticipated. But if your concern when you wake up is your posture before God, the rightness of God, the rule and reign of God, the fact that he is king of your life, the fact that Jesus is great, if that becomes your concern, then when I wake up, my posture drives my plan. Because I won't make a plan unless and until it comes from my king. And if I misread, if I misunderstand, if I go off track and the king makes it clear that that plan is not accurate, who am I to throw up a huff and puff? You're really going to look at the king of kings and just be like, I disagree. You can disagree, but he's still king. And so the posture changes even how you live because you start to live loosely to the things of this world. You start to say, Lord, I'm not going to hold tightly to my way and my plan. I'm going to hold tightly to my posture before you. But I'm going to hold loosely to my plan. You see, Mary was very quick to say that she would do that. Look what it says. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let me pause here. This is why, if you're new to the Christian faith, and you say, well, it was just a guy. No, it's not just a guy. This is exactly, the virgin birth is an essential Christian doctrine. It's not, it's not up for debate. You, you can't be a Christian and say, nah, I don't think, I, I don't think Mary was a virgin. I think it just kind of happened. Jesus became kind of the prophet. They picked him out. He became a, the best talker in the room. No. It is an essential, it's a foundational Christian belief that Jesus was born to a virgin Mary, unpolluted by, by the sin of the world. And he's God incarnate, God in the flesh, the Holy Spirit delivered. And behold, it says, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this in the sixth month of her who is called barren. Meaning her plan, she thought she was barren. She couldn't have a child. But actually, she's six months pregnant. It was John the Baptist, by the way. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. So on one hand, he's like, hey, not only you who are a virgin on this end of the spectrum, not only are you going to conceive this Jesus, but oh yeah, you know your cousin who was found to be barren? who didn't think she could ever have a child? Oh, by the way, um, yeah, six months pregnant. You're welcome. Like, like on both sides of the spectrum here. And the angel, and, I'm sorry, and Mary said, look at what Mary says. It's so beautiful for us, instructive for us. We want to be used by God. And Mary said, behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you're jotting notes down, you might write this down. Even when we don't know why or how, we trust his heart. Even when we don't know why. why why'd you pick me? I'm, I'm confused. You're telling me I found favor with God. I don't, I don't get it. I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm, just, I'm afraid. The why? I don't, I don't know why. How? How is this possible? I'm a, I'm a virgin. You're telling me I'm going to have a child? How is this possible? Even when we don't know why or how, we trust his heart. She looks to the angel and she says, you know, let it be so. I'm God's servant. Now, Mary knew what, <laughs> in this culture, in this time, to, to have a child out of wedlock, it wasn't like, like, hey, you can go and, and, and get help from the government or, or it's okay, everybody breaks up. And it wasn't that. This, this was shame. This was separation. This was um, complete poverty the rest of your life because that man's not going to marry you and, and nobody's claiming you because they don't want infidelity charges. And so as a result, this person, this young lady could have been killed. She could have been stoned to death. But she's still like, you know what, Lord? However you say, I'm your servant. My plans can change. Where I was headed before right now can change. But I'm your servant. I'm with you. Even when we don't know. I was thinking about this and looking at this passage. And the angel said, hey, this is going to go down. And this is who you're going to be the one that, that, that brings God's son into the earth. There have been 400 years of, of silence in, in biblical terms. And it's like, hey, Mary, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use a, a, a young girl. I'm going I'm to use your womb, and I'm going to bring in, into this world the descendant of David, the great Messiah, the one that your entire religion is, is waiting for. It's going to happen through you. I'm gonna, I've picked you, young lady. You're going to change the world. And she doesn't respond by all of her plans that are going to get rocked by this. She doesn't sit there and give a list of everything that she had in store. Hold on, I was going to live a quiet life with Joseph. I was just going to kind of do my own thing. I was going to have a few kids. Like, I didn't ask for all this. She doesn't do that. She says, you know, I'm God's servant. Let, let it be. Let it be. You know, I thought about the word amen. When we say amen in church, we're saying, let it be so. I, I agree with the prayer that was prayed, or I agree with the proclamation of the gospel. I, I agree. And so when we say uh, amen at the end of a prayer, what we're saying is we're coming into unison and agreement. By, when you amen a prayer, you're saying, let that be so. And so it's, it's, it's weird, but like if there's a terrible prayer, not like put together wrong, but just bad theologically, the whole room can be like, amen. And I'll be like, okay. Because what you're saying with your amen is let it be so. 
But you know what some of us say with our amen? So be it. So be it. And there's a difference in posture. Let this be so. I agree with that desire. I agree with that one. I want this to happen. But many of us in our amen, it's amen. So be it. And Mary, she said, you know, let it be so. I'm your servant. She had a husband waiting. Why in the world would God force her to go through this change? Why, why me? Why now? There's so many things we could ask. Her plans had been changed. But Christmas is not the end of our plans, but the beginning of God's purpose. When we celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating an end of anything. We're celebrating a beginning. So often we're already thinking about the next year and how we can go into the next year and do the next thing and Christmas gets wrapped up in an end of year bow. But that's not what it is. It's a celebration of freshness, a fresh start, new life, the beginning of God on earth. Yes, these plans would be changed, but God had so much more in store. But Mary wasn't alone. Mary wasn't alone. I want you to take a look over in Matthew chapter 1. And I want you to look at Joseph's plan. He had the same scenario. So when the, the angel came to Mary and we see that she was ready and willing to let her plans be changed for the glory of God. But look at Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way in Matthew 1. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph's plan number one, I want to be married and have a quiet life. Look what it said. Before they could come together, she was found to be with child. How'd you like to be Joseph? Like, hold on now. And by the way, it wasn't every day that the Holy Spirit, you know, just brought a baby in a womb. So can you imagine that conversation without God getting involved in there? That'd be pretty hard. But Joseph, he, he's like, whoa, beforehand, that, that ain't right. And look what it says in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, I like that it says that in there, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. He didn't want to put her out there like that. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So plan number two was, if I can't be married and live a quiet life, I'll divorce Mary and live a quiet life. Either way, I'm trying to get my life back. So my first plan is, hey, we're going to get together, me and you, that's great. Oh, oh, you got a baby? Oh, well, that changes things. Okay, how about this? I'm just going to let you go. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. You can go your way. I'll go my way. We're just going gonna to start over, okay? So his second plan. But then look what it says. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. Don't you love these angels dropping in and out? Of a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, plan number three. I'm going to follow God and live a life of adventure. 
I was going to just marry this girl and never be even really known or spoken of. She's pregnant. Oh, plans change. Okay, I'll let you go and separate. We'll go our own way. No, it's not what God wants for you. Okay, I'm in it then. We're going to have this son. Call his name Jesus. Church, as you're approaching Christmas, you say, how do I have a Merry Christmas? Understand, happiness is exchanging your plans for God's presence. Happiness is exchanging your plans for God's presence. What I've learned in life, what we all should learn eventually, is that true joy doesn't come when you anchor yourself to more things of this world. That's the world's vision. The more money, the more success, the more people, the bigger house, the nicer car. I'm going to anchor, 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 anchor myself to this world. But it's actually the call of God that we loose ourselves from this world. That we let go of the things of this world and we hold tightly to the presence of God. People will come and people will go. Possessions will come and possessions will go. Plans will come and plans will go. But the only way that I'm going to get upset and I'm going to get tore out of shape and I'm going to get bitter is if I was anchored to any of those things that come and go. But if I will wake up every day and say, is it my plans that are going to be on full display today or is it my posture before God? You're going to have that choice every single day when you wake up. But when you think about Christmas, remember who Jesus is. Remember that he's pure. Remember that he's of the line of David. He's the coming Messiah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. His his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His kingdom will rule and reign forever. It has no end. That's who Jesus is. And so I can hold on to my rinky-dink little plans And I could get upset when they don't work out. And and when people come in and out of my life, I could get mad and let that destroy me. Or I could hold on to the presence of God. And I could say, God, you're so much bigger than all this stuff that I worry about. And in Christmas, we've now, as a society, marketed it so much to where, no, it's all about possessions. It's all about stuff. It's all about what you can anchor to. And I've got enough experience now as a parent to know that in six weeks' time, most of it ends up at the bottom of a junk pile anyway. And you say, well, yeah, that's kids for you. No! Wait till you get your first scratch on your brand new car. You'll quit washing it. Because it's just stuff. But I don't need to let my emotions and affections be driven by my plans or by my attachments to the ways of this world. Here's a Christmas promise for you. The journey with God is greater than any destination without Him. The journey with God is greater than any destination without Him. Mary and Joseph getting married, that's normal. That's normal. They didn't necessarily have to be particularly religious people in order to Go ahead and just get married and find their fulfillment in a person. Lots of people get married and find their their fullness and fulfillment in people. And when those people are no longer there, those people are not perfect, those people snore, those people stink, when something happens, you get let down. 
But what if you lived your life with a posture that said, Lord, you entered this world through two humble servants that were more concerned about their posture before you than the plans that they had. And they were willing to let their plans go so that they could see your presence. And what if you lived your life that said, you know what? The Lord's presence in my life is greater than any possession, any plan, any person that will ever come across my life. His presence will never leave me. His presence will never abandon me. His presence will never forsake me. His presence will not rust. His presence will not go away and fall by the wayside. His presence will not forget me. His presence won't walk out the door. His presence won't divorce me. His presence. And so just like Mary, she said, let it be. Lord, with my life, let it be. Just as you've said. Why? Because I'm your servant. You're the king, and I'm not. And then we go over to Joseph. He's like, Lord, this isn't what I planned for my marriage. And God said, yeah, but this is what I planned. So he said, all right. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to be the earthly dad. I'm going to show him around the wood shop and show him how to do things. But Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. It's not about my plan. This Christmas season, you might be in this room today and you may not have thought that today could be a day when you encounter the living God. But I've got news for you. We're not all wasting our time here and giving money and helping people in Africa just because it makes us feel good by itself. We're doing it because there is a king. His name is Jesus. And he was born on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. And when we gather around, we're not just exchanging gifts. What we're doing is acknowledging the coming king, the Messiah that's come to save. And every one of us in this room has an opportunity to go to heaven if we will relent of ourselves, surrender to His will and His way, and acknowledge Him as King. And as King, it doesn't mean that His commands are optional. As King, it means He rules, He reigns. I follow. My plans, they can come and go. But His presence, His presence, that's the greatest gift I could ever have. If you don't know Christ as Savior, I would love the opportunity to talk with you more. You need to admit that you're a sinner, as we all are, but you've got to own it. You've got to believe something about who Christ is. He's the risen, perfect Messiah. He's God in flesh. He came to wipe away all your sins if you will trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation. No works, no goodness on your side gets you there. And if you will surrender your life over into His will, when you learn that God has called you to do it, you say yes. Why? Because He's King. And you confess Jesus is Lord. You say, Lord, you are the ruler of my life. I will follow you forever. And it's in doing so, a complete surrender to the sovereignty of God, to the hand of God, to the wonderful grace of God through Christ. It's in doing that that we find salvation, that we're made right before God. We take on a righteousness that's not our own. We take on a righteousness from Christ. And all that's available to you at Christmas. Because that's who we celebrate who came 2,000 years ago to Mary and Joseph. Let's pray.